Okay, we're blessed to be here to study Torah together. So, the blessing for studying Torah is La'asok B'divrei Torah. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kitshanu B'mitzvotav V'tzivanu La'asok B'divrei Torah. Amen. Well, this week's portion is Toldot, which is the story of Isaac of uh, 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 Jacob and Esau being born as twins, um, and their whole, the whole dramatic story of growing up together, fighting together, stealing the father's Isaac's blessing together. It ends with Isaac with Jacob having to run away because Esau wants to kill him. So obviously, over the, this is a very compelling story, and we've studied it in all kinds of ways, and. Um, I want to thank Avigail, uh, who uh, last week was teaching about Rebecca um, uh, in uh, her Devar Torah. She was celebrating the release of her book. Everybody knows about her book? Yes. <coughs> yes. There's her book. There's her book. Okay. And I also have cards if you want. Beautiful. Beautiful. So I want to thank you, Avigail, because you got me thinking about it. Hi, Julia. Um, great. So, I'm totally, totally fascinated by the story of Jacob and Esau. We've done it as comparative mythology. We've studied Jacob, we've studied Esau. We've, but I want to focus on Rebecca. And, and look at Rebecca, because through our, con, I'll say mine, but it's mine and ours is pretty close for a lot of people in this case, conditioned lens of how we read, how we read, uh, Rebecca is like an, um, a, um, uh, not the lead actress, but the supporting actress, right. But when you actually read the story and think about her as the protagonist, she actually is the protagonist of this next episode after Abraham's uh, cycle comes to a conclusion. So what I wanted to, so, um, now the women characters in the Torah get short shrift a lot of the time. And I think it's time, but in this case, Rebecca's really a powerful, potent character. And I, I thought I'd like to look at all the references to Rebecca in the previous week's chapter portion, Chayasara, and then in this one, and then think together about constructing the story in our mind. What if we constructed it with Rebecca as the central character? Or one of the, not just, no, as the, think about Rebecca as a protagonist. And uh, for me, it was illuminating. So with your participation, I want to explore that angle together, okay? Um, because it's, uh, it's just a couple thousand years overdue. So, um, <laughs> so what I want to start with is we're actually going to spend some time in last week's portion well, actually, I want to even go back. I'll tell you page numbers. We're going to be flipping around a bit, okay? Um, look at um, page 137. That's chapter 22 of Genesis. Because this is the first mention of Rebecca in Torah. Page 137. Mm-hmm. 
So I want to posit that there are linguistic clues that are going to want us to link Abraham and Rebecca even more than Abraham and Isaac in terms of the narrative flow here. So this is the first mention of Rebecca on the top of 137. After all these things, after what things? What just happened? The binding of Isaac, that's right. So it just happened. Let's go back to verse 15. Then out of heaven an angel called an angel of the eternal called to Abraham a second time, saying, By myself I swear. I like that. I swear to me. You know, that's God talking. I, um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> that because you did this thing and did not withhold your son, your only one, I will bless you greatly and make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven and the sands of the seashore. And your descendants shall take possession of the gates of their foes. Um, uh, the gates of their foes at the end of 17, Sha'ar Oivav, right. Vayirash Zaracha et Sha'ar Oivav. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because you have hearkened to my voice. That's God's promise from the beginning of the Abraham story. Remember, this is the very close. Abraham is going to go on in the next chapter and buy a grave for uh, his wife, Sarah. But this is, really the, this, this is really the bookend to, and God said to Abraham, go forth and you will be a blessing. And now he's passed the final test. And uh, through you all the earth shall be blessed. Abraham then returned to his servant lads. They got up and traveled together to Beersheba, and Abraham settled in Beersheba. Right after these things, Abraham was told the following Milka, back in the old country, has borne sons to your brother Nahor. Uz, his firstborn, and his brother Booz, I like these names, Kemuel, father of Aram, Chesed, no, Kesed, uh, I'll look at every Hebrew, I can't read the English, Chazol, Pildash, Yidlaf, Ve'et Bituel, and someone named Bituel. Bituel um, fathered Rebecca. And these eight did Milka bear to Nahor, Abraham's brother. And his concubine, her name was Ruma, bore also Tebach, Gacham, Tachash, Ma'aka. But, Bituel, Yalad, et Rivka. And that stands out when, especially the rare times in the Torah, where it says a, a girl specifically and the father. Right? That doesn't happen too often. Mm -hmm. So Rebecca was his niece? They're all cousins. That's the way they did things back then. And that's, this, that's this is the only second generation. Rebecca is the only one. Right. Rebecca is the only one who's mentioned who is the next generation. And the, it, this comes before they see her. Yes. Yes, this is the first mention of Rebecca. Mention of someone by name, but you have no idea who she is. Right, but they want you, the, the Torah wants you to hear this name. And do you remember how the beginning of chapter 22, the Akedah chapter, begins, what the words are? 
You can look back. It's on page uh, 135. After these things, God tested Abraham. And then, to close the chapter, it says in verse 20, Vayehi acharei hadvarim ha'ele, vayugad Abraham. it was told to Abraham. So, the language is telling us that something of equal moment is happening. Do you follow what I'm saying? If it says, and after these things, then something important is about to happen. That phrase, and it was, take your son, your only son, right? And now it's, and after all these things, it was told to Abraham, a, a Rebecca has been born, right? So Rebecca is really highlighted here. And I'm, uh, those who came in late, I'm following Rebecca's story here because I noticed that I'd never really paid the attention it deserves. Jay? Yeah, but you, it says here, take uh, your son, your only one. Wasn't Ishmael his son as well? Yes, yes which causes... All the son. That's right. Unfortunately, we're not going to talk about that today. <laughs> Thursday, we are going to talk about it because, I mean, Tuesday in our class on Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, we are going to see how the story of Abraham is told in each of the three traditions. And because of the um, unclarity of this verse, it opens a lot of possibilities. Who's your only son? What do you mean, only son? I will tell you this. The Midrash, the rabbinic commentaries, which understands Abraham legitimately as being someone who's filled with chesed, who's filled with generous love, they make a dialogue out of this verse in the Midrash. And it says, And God said to, God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, and Abraham said, Here I am, Hineni. And he said, Kachna et bincha, take now your son. And he says, Which one? I have two sons. Et yechidcha, your only one. I said, no, I have two sons. Asher ahavta, the one you love. I love them both. And then God says, Isaac. <laughs> right? Because the, the rabbis are as confused by this verse as you are. Could it be that did, did that make sense? Absolutely. But I'm thinking this is only son through a marriage. You, that could be the, the, the um, rational explanation. Of, of that. It could be. So God actually caused the Mideastern... It's all God's fault. Just blame it's God. It's all God's fault. Yeah, you're all, we, that's all you have to do. Blame God. That's it? Yeah, you're all set. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Sorry. Uh, but I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. Yes? Not a lot of time, just an observation. Okay. It says that Abraham returned to his young men. Yes. And they stood up and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Right. The only problem with this is. Yep. His wife was in Hebron. That's right. There's so another problem. He did not return to Sarah. He didn't return to Sarah, which leads to all kinds of fascinating stories. And also, if you'll notice, it doesn't say that Abraham and Isaac returned That's to right. his lad. So Isaac. then the question is where is Isaac? Where is Isaac? Yeah. It's a wonderful oh. midrash that he went to yeshiva. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He sent him to yeshiva, to boarding school. He, they also have a midrash that he died and had to be revived. There are so many stories. So the beauty for me of this text is that it leaves so much unanswered. And uh, 
You know, that's why we're still talking about it. But I want to lean forward towards Rebecca because I'm sharing with you that something of moment, equal moment, is happening equal to the test of take Isaac. He hears, it's told to him, after all these things, that Rebecca is born. So, yes? Um, the phrase, and after all these things, um, does that repeat itself? Not too often. Not too often. So that's why it's something yeah. momentous, usually. Yeah. Um, okay, so now, the next time we hear about Rebecca is... I'm sorry, is there any reason to go back to who Milcha is? And how Can you tell us? I didn't get to that. <laughs> I think um, there is. I'm back in, at the end of the um, portion on Noah, when we're getting the first introduction of Abram. So Abram has two brothers, right? There's Haran, which is the land that they're in, and then there's Nachor, the two brothers. So somehow Milcha is connected to both of those brothers. She's the son of one of them. And the, the daughter, wife. you mean? The... I mean, the daughter of one of them and the wife of the other one or something? Oh, yeah. Abram and Nachor took wives. Abram's wife was named Sarai, and Nachor's wife was named Milcha, yeah. daughter of Haran, father of Milcha and of Yiska. And Sarai was barren. Okay, so Milka, who is the um, Betuel, uh, Milka gives sons to your brother Nahor, and one of those sons is Betuel. So Rebecca is Milka's granddaughter. Right. But the fact that Milka is. Is connected to both of those brothers of Abraham, mm-hmm. to me seems important too, mm-hmm. in terms of the lineage of where, how Rebecca then joins the whole. Oh, Rebecca is going to make something complete, and you'll have to you'll have to let the uh, mores about marrying your cousin go here, because that's not con- that's not a concern to this story. Um, Anytime it says Vayeshev, they settle down. The next, the next storm is coming. Right. Well, that sounds like life, doesn't it? I mean, Yaakov, and then it says that um, Joseph was seventeen. That's right. And who's calm with a seventeen-year-old? <laughs> <laughs> so now, now the next portion, this, which was last week, Chayesara. The first chapter, chapter 23, is about Abraham buying a burial place for him, for Sarah, where ultimately the Torah will tell us he and Sarah and his descendants, uh, the other patriarchs and matriarchs except for Rachel, are, are buried. But then in chapter 24, I'm going to tell you, 156. Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and yod heh had blessed Abraham in every way. And Abraham now said to his slave, the elder of his household, who had oversight of all that was his, put your hand under my thigh, so that I may have you swear by the eternal God of heaven, God of earth, and God of earth, 
that you will not take a wife for my son from among the daughters of the Canaanites in whose midst I dwell. Rather, you shall go to my land, my birthplace, and get Artsi ve'elmolatati, and get a wife for my son Isaac. The slave replied, Suppose the woman does not care to follow me to this land. Should I then bring your son back to the land you came from? Abraham then answered him, Do not take my son back there. Um, uh, because it's this land that has been promised to me, says God. And so uh, you'll, you'll br- take a wife for my son from back at home. Okay. But if the woman does not care to follow you, you are released from this oath of mine. Only do not bring my son back there. And the slave placed his hand under his master Abraham's thigh and swore to him concerning this matter. As far as I know, thigh is a uh, euphemism for testicles, which I understand the word testify comes from the same word as testicle uh, in, back in Mediterranean, ancient Greek. Uh, so I suspect it's all connected, but that's also an interesting aside, which I think is probably true. Um, okay, so then... The slave then took ten of his master's camels and laden with an abundant store of his master's goods, got up and went to Aram Naharaim, the city of Nahor, where Abraham was from originally. <coughs> he made the camels kneel down outside the city at the water well at eventide at the time when the girls who draw water go forth. And he prayed, Eternal one God of my master Abraham, please bring me luck today, or hakreina lefanai, Luck is a kind of weak translation. It's like... Kindness? No, hakre is cause to happen. You know, um, uh, uh, and do a kindness for my master Abraham. Here I am standing at the water fount, and the daughters of the townspeople are going forth to draw water. The girl to whom I say, tip your pitcher and let me drink, and who replies... Drink and let me water your camels too. Let her be the one you have designated for your servant Isaac. That is how I shall know that you have done a kindness for my master. And before he was done praying, Rebekah, who had been born to Betuel, son of Milcah, wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, was going forth with her pitcher on her shoulder. And she was an exceedingly beautiful girl of marriageable age, Actually, Bitula, which means a maiden, a virgin. And I found it interesting that her father's name is Bituel and Bitula. So there's something in there. Um, and whom no man had yet known. She went down to the spring, filled her pitcher, and then went up. Now I'm on the next page. The slave ran toward her and said, Let me sip a little water from your pitcher. And she replied, Drink, sir. Quickly, she lowered her pitcher on her hand and let him drink. The drinking done, she said, I will draw some for your camels too, till they are done drinking. And quickly, she emptied her pitcher in the trough, and she again ran to the well to draw water, drawing water for all his camels. The man stood staring at her, mishta'eh, uh, that's a word for like, um, uh, uh, wonderingly, um, silent, in order to learn whether or not the Eternal had cleared the way for him. 
And when the camels were done drinking, the man took a gold nose ring, a half shekel in weight, and two bracelets for her wrist, ten gold shekels in weight, and said, Please tell me, whose daughter are you? Is there a place in your father's house for us to lodge? <coughs> she said to him, I am Betuel's daughter. He is the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. And she added, We have straw and fodder in abundance, <coughs> as well as room for lodging. The man kneeled and bowed down to the Eternal, saying, Baruch Adonai, God of my master Abraham, whose faithful kindness has not <coughs> deserted my master. As for me, the Eternal has led me straight away to my master brother's house. The girl then ran and related these things to her mother's household. First of all, it's a good story, right? Uh, you're praying for something and then it happens? What? Now, my, 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 um, uh, my thesis right now is that Rebecca is linked to Abraham. What do you notice or might remember about Rebecca's behavior and some of the language that might link to Abraham? When the angels come. When the three angels come visit Abraham. He's sitting in the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. What does he do? He runs to greet them. He then hurries to the flock and he hurries to Sarah and he runs back. Right? So this quality, this is considered to be the core quality of Abraham, which is chesed, freely giving, welcoming, bringing, you know, inviting in. And Rebecca has all these qualities. The word yimaher and ratz, yimaher is to hurry and ratz is to run. And I was fascinated to note that her behavior by the well is identical to Abraham's behavior when he welcomes the, 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 the three angels, the strangers. So um, I think, again, we're being told something in the language here that I hadn't really noticed before. Again, Abigail was the one who was like cueing me into these things. Um, so this beautiful story... Um, Rebecca seems to be the master mistress of her own fate because, now in 29 it says, now Rebecca had a brother named Laban, who is Lavan, who is going to be a central figure in Joseph, Jacob's life in a, shortly, right? He's, he's, a, he's, he's a no good Nick. Um, and Laban ran outside to the man at the spring. And uh, when, when Laban saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists, the rabbis say, let's see what Laban notices first. The gold, you know. So, uh, uh, and heard his sister's story. He said, uh, the man was still standing by his camels at the spring. And he said, come in, O blessed of the eternal. We've made space for you. Then what happens is that, uh, for the, in, the, in, in the interest of time, Eliezer tells the whole story to them verbatim, again, of what just happened. And again in the Torah, something is repeated. That doesn't, it's not supposed to be boring. That makes it very important. And again, let me think with you about folk tales and the way they're told and how you'll hear a whole refrain again that everybody knows waiting for the punchline. You know, and then he went and said to the fox, I, da, 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 and the fox said, no, not me. And then he went and said to the, this is a storytelling motif, 
And the mot- so this story is very important. That's how I see it anyway. Um, and then he tells the whole story and Rebecca came with a water pitcher and went down to the well to get water and she hurried to lower the pitcher and she hurried to do this and it's all repeated. And now I'm turning to verse 49, which is on page 160, because this is a really long chapter. If you mean to treat my master with chesed ve'emet, faithful kindness, tell me. If not, tell me, and I will return in another direction. Laban and Betuel responded by saying, this matter has emanated from the eternal. We cannot answer you one way or another. Look, Rebecca's before you. Take her and go. And let her be your master's son wife, as the Eternal has decreed. When Abraham's slave heard their words, he bowed low to the Eternal and brought out silver and gold and clothing and gave them to Rebecca and gave her brother and mother precious gifts. And he stayed with them and ate and drank. And when they got up in the morning, he said, send me off to my master. And her brother and mother said, oh, let the girl stay with us another few days. Ten, perhaps. <laughs> Afterwards, she may go. But, so there's something already afoot with Laban. You get, that's just foreshadowing what he's going to be doing in the next few chapters. But he said to them, do not delay me now that the Eternal has cleared the way for me. Send me off and let me go to my master. And they answered, let, this is a very interesting line. Let us call the girl and see what she has to say. This is the Torah. This is like Bedouin tribes. What, what is this? Some, I've, I, I mean, when you think about it, this line is so out there. Let us call the girl. Who decides where girls go? Everybody else. Yeah. So uh, this line just jumped out at me. I'd never really noticed this way before until I started telling the story that I want to tell today. So and they... Co- the Hebrew, yeah. Hebrew. Yeah. Yep. So they called Rebecca and Rachel asked her. Rachel and Leah don't get that kind of choice. Rachel and Leah, nope, nope. That's what I'm talking about, why Rebecca seems to occupy a, a particularly, I use the word protagonist, a, a very significant active role in the Torah. I don't, know, I don't have the reasons or anything. I'm just exploring that with you today because uh, I'd never really looked at it before. Um, I'm sure many others have. So they called Rebecca and asked her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. Um, okay. Eilech, remind you of anything? Lech lecha. Right? She is going in Abraham's footsteps. Right? Abraham is told, Lech lecha, to the place that I will show you. And they say to her, do you want to go? And she says, which is just like, I'm going. Powerful. They then, they then sent Rebe- sis- their sister Rebecca off with Menikta, her nursemaid, and Abraham's slave, and with his men. Menikta is, um, is to nurse, literally. I mean, her wet nurse, which leads the Midrash to say that maybe she was three years old. Right, because it's such an interesting thing that her, that this is mentioned here. Again, just an opportunity to wonder 
um, wonder about this, except that we're going to hear about this nursemaid again later. So I want to make sure we get to that today. But I wanted to point that out. We're going to actually hear about this person. She has a name. Um, and they sent Rebecca off with her nurse, with Abraham's slave, and with his sister, and bestowing this blessing upon Rebecca. They blessed Rivka and said to her, Sister, at hayi you will become myriads of thousands, and may your descend your descendants take possession of the gates of their foes. Uh, which verse? We read it just a little while ago, we huh? We just read it. We just read it, chapter twenty-two. Let's go back to it. Um, it's another literary uh, allusion. Um, it was on page, um, oh yeah, there it is, 136, verse 17. Page 136, verse 17. Keep your finger on the other page. I will bless you greatly. What just happened to her? They blessed her and said... And she, here it says, make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven and the sands of the seashore. Here it says, may you become thousands of myriads, and your descendants shall take possession of the gates of their foes. And your descendants take possession of the gates of their foes. So, the same, just so that the same blessing that Abraham gets from the angel because he did not withhold Isaac from him, is the blessing that is given to Rebecca by her family before she departs. Why do they think that this is, she's going to be so important? <laughs> they, <laughs> they don't know who she is. Like in any, like, I don't know, like in any good story where there's destiny involved, the, the characters don't necessarily know about the destiny. We, as the readers, get to see it by reading carefully. Remember when you've read a good book, then you go back and you read something early in it and you say, oh, now I know why they said that in that book because it's prefiguring something that's going to happen. It's like that, if you know what I mean, if you look at it as literature. No, but this is not a reasonable story, right? This is a, this is a, a heroic tale, right? This is not a biography. Um, we're, no one's trying to be objective here. Right, that's, that's a mistaken way to read this. Um, so, so those are the links we've got so far between Abraham and Rebecca. She says, I'll go, and then she gets the same blessing. Uh, and the blessing is what Abraham gets by not withholding his son Isaac. So again, there's some prefiguration of a connection there. That's gonna, but, it's, it's, but Rebecca had a choice. That's the cool thing. I just, I'm so struck by that. Rebecca was given the choice, and she said, I'm going. Do we know how old she is? No. So, there are, so the Midrash, again, if you don't know what Midrash is, it's the, it's the uh, imagined filling in of the gaps in the story uh, that, the, that the rabbinic tradition does, is wondering, is she three years old? Because she has a nurse. She has a wet nurse. But it says marriageable age. But it says marriageable age. But so she can't be three years old if she's whole 
having pots of water. Well. And if he's taking her as his wife. I know, I know. So all I know is they don't know how old she is. It doesn't say. Does the Hebrew say wet nurse? Or just yeah. Menikta. A wet nurse, yeah. It's fascinating. Um, I just wanted to say, Rabbi, was uh, Abraham still alive at this time? Oh, yes. Abraham was the one who so, sent his servant to get a wife for his son Isaac. It's like passing on the blessing. Abraham might have came back and said, you'll never believe what happened to the angels and Laban and, I mean, and uh, 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 Isaac. And so they knew the story, and the angel told me this, you'll be the gatekeeper of the... Fo-. And it was, they knew the story. Maybe they passed it on. They don't know the story. They They're in the old country. He hasn't been back there since he left decades he earlier. He didn't have a chance to pass the story no. of what the angels had blessed on him. No. Okay. They didn't have the internet. No, no not even long-distance call. <laughs> Except there's a different kind of long-distance call in a tale. And that's the supernatural, right? The mystery. So you get to, but it's a mystery. We're contemplating a mystery. Again, I'll tell you, the Torah is not a biography. It's a visionary tale. And it's filled with synchronicity and linguistic clues. And that's what Torah is. We're impoverished if we read it as less than that. Then all, then we just, you know, we may get a, thre- a narrative thread, but we won't see kind of like the, all the undulations behind it. So you just, we just have to break out of our habit of reading things as, uh, reading Torah as some kind of reportage. Of, right. I, just in common sense, I was just saying, if he's looking for a woman of maritable age, and it wouldn't be a child. Be right, a so I'm just saying, the idea that she's a baby is a fanciful midrash. How is it fanciful? There are also midrashim about Abraham. And that's where, this, that's where I see the link at three years old. And I'll explain to you. So midrashim are truly fanciful. They're not trying to uh, uh, be logical. They're trying to il- illuminate. So when, you know, all we know about Abraham is he sh- he's born... And then we hear about him when he's like 80 years old and he gets a call to go forth. That's all we know about him. So the rabbis tell an elaborate set of midrashim, which you'll find out the Muslims borrowed all of them in the Quran. It's totally fascinating. But that's for our Tuesday class. Um, uh, Where Abraham is three years old and he is contemplating the mysteries of the universe. And he's such an, a, such an a, a illuminated, exalted soul that at age three, he's, he's asking questions that most people don't ever get to in their life. And so I think the three-year-old Rebecca may be also linked to this idea of an incredible, a preternaturally gifted being. That's how I would describe it. Yeah? Perhaps the wet nurse was actually not a wet nurse. Perhaps the wet nurse was somebody that she was quite bonded to and felt it was more of a maternal figure. Yes. And so sending her is such a distance. They wanted to send a very maternal person with her. Right, her Her lifelong nanny, right? The one who really raised her or that sort of thing, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe they still call her a nurse because that was what her original role was. Yeah. Yeah, that's entirely possible. I haven't studied 
where this kind of stuff comes up in other ancient literature, so I don't, I don't know. No, this is, this is where she appears. Oh, okay. But she gets, she appears again yeah. later, later, which we'll get to today. That's right, same thing, yeah. same thing. Had been her wet nurse and was... Had been her wet nurse and kept being... Same thing, that's right. So I think that's the straightforward, what we call the pshat, the, the most straightforward understanding of what it means her nurse went with her, right. But because it says wet nurse, it's an opportunity for having fun trying to talk about it all. And that's... If you don't treat this as fun, then you're also missing part of what it's supposed to be. Yeah, so that's what I wanted to say. Do, okay, hold on one second. Hebrew does say wet nurse, yeah. That's what I didn't understand. Yeah. It kind of has to be that, what you're saying, because it's a detail that doesn't have any purpose if you just read it, you know, because the story is so sparse. Yes. Why would there be a detail like that? That's the question. Yeah. So then it begs the question. What? Because we, even more so, because we hear about this person again later. Um, just one second, Jay. There were more. Um, uh, Julia. Yes. Um, uh, I wanted to um, uh, associate the first blessing with the second blessing. Yes. The first one, God blessed by his own to his own right. self. He, he blessed Abraham. And the same blessing then was given by, is it a servant? No, it's, no, 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 no. No, it's by his brother, her brother and her uh, father or... So one blessing was God swearing to him about himself to Abraham. The other one was given by a human being to another human being. That's right. And yet it's the same. It's the same blessing. Yeah, yes, exactly. Uh, Abigail and then... um, I think it's really important to note that there's so much emphasis on this whole courtship. Yes, this courtship gets this long, long chapter. Yes, it's something very significant in the Torah. Much the same thing. I just was wondering about Laban giving the blessing. Uh, such bad report of him most of the way. I know. I know, and yet at that moment there's he's just... There's ambiguity there. Yes, there's a lot of ambiguity with Laban because he's also a driver of Jacob's destiny. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's his daughters, Rachel and Leah, that are going to marry... Jacob. So there's, there's a lot going on here, which was part of what makes it a good story, is that um, it's not just good versus evil. It's lots of intricate kind of plotting and complexity and a lot of payback and you get what you, 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 you know, what goes around comes around. And it's, it's not a simple story. It seems like the, it's, a, it's the, the creation of a family that also integrates the, uh, the cosmic eternal into their lifestyle. It's like the development of a, this family is developing, it's growing, it's starting with Abraham and with Rebecca and her sons and this and that. And it's like this family is, becomes extended, but it includes Hashem yes. in, in every aspect of that right. life. So Nicely like put. Created Jew, a Jewish family being created. That's very nice, very nice. Thank you. Jay, what do you want to say? Yeah, this, this, this whole concept of angel um, has me a bit confused. And I wonder if you could maybe um, spend just a moment 
sure. on that concept. And since, you know, on 12 it says, then out of heaven an angel of the eternal Right. So for biblical purposes, not for later understanding of angels, fallen angels, angels with names, that's later. In the Bible, angels are mere, the word angel in Greek means agent. The Hebrew word malach, which means angel, means agent or messenger. Angels in the Bible strictly serve the purpose of, of, of delivering God's will. They have no independent will. They're not named. They seem to be manifestations like sun rays from the sun going out from the sun, you know. Okay, so that... Yeah, so let that be sufficient for now. Later, post-biblical, angels become a whole universe unto themselves, but not in the Bible. They don't... So, so, so I'm thinking, just to follow up, that, that this angel as a messenger, is that related to the messenger to Rebecca in any way? Is, is there any kind of connection there? Wait, who's the messenger to Rebecca? Well, you know, the one who gave the, um, the, the message about the gates and your foes. Where, you know, your oh, though, though that's a blessing that's given to her. One, one but that blessing comes through her father and her uncle as they send her off. Right, and, but, but with Abraham it came through the angels. Yes. So, so does that mean that maybe human beings... Well, yes, know. there is a connection. Because in the Bible, whenever an unnamed person, an Ish, is mentioned who has no name and is only identified as Ish, which means man, uh, but has no name, they turn out to be whether it's explicit or not, um, drivers of the divine plan. So Joseph is wandering, lost in a field. He encounters an Ish. And the Ish says, your brothers are over there. Um, uh, uh, um, uh, Jacob comes to the river, and he's terrified about having to cross the river and meet his brother Esau. And it says, and an Ish, a man, wrestled with him there. And uh, so... So you could say, therefore, and this is not, the Bible is never explicit about this, that we, human beings, are sometimes agents of God. Uh, even Laban, who's a very compromised character, at some times, God speaks through Laban. So I would take it, I would take it there. And angels for that Right, that we... When we work, remember, angel is Greek for agent. That's all it means in Greek. And malach, all it means in Hebrew is agent. And so when we happen to be channels for the divine will, right. we are at that moment an agent right. of God. Right. right? I think that's a helpful answer to everybody. Does that because, angel, because our translator decided to translate it as angel, but we don't happen to not know that angel means agent in Greek. Like, this translation is, it has all kinds of uh, compromises in it. But, but would other translations... I've never seen it translated that way. As angel. Not in a biblical translation, so I guess I'm going to have to do my own. Malach could be malach? No. No, no. Malach is a word... Mem Lamed Aleph Chaf, that means someone who, who does something. Yeah, but what, ma is what? Lach, 
Oh, you go. can. Oh, yes, you could make what a word. So you, the agent is what goes. Nice. You could definitely do a nice wordplay on that. Very nice. Most people uh, probably know Shalom Aleichem, the song we sing on Friday nights, Malakei HaShalom, the messengers of peace. Right, the agent, agents are messengers of peace. Or angels of peace. Harris? Yeah, I hope I got the timing right. I think I do. We were talking about the, pre- the, the, the blessing that they gave. To Rebecca before she leaves. That was the following day, was it not? Yeah, uh, yeah because... Okay, so, therefore, logic has it to me... Don't be too logical. <laughs> ...that they spent the evening together with the slave asking questions. What's this all about? Why are you here? And it's very... It makes sense to me for him to express the story about his master... Right, which he already does. Yeah. Master. So for them to repeat it the next day, it's not so remarkable. Oh, but he hasn't necessarily—he wasn't necessarily present when he heard that blessing of God but given to his master. Of the story. It's possible. It's possible. It, this amazing story, and he's the number one slave, and he didn't know the story. Oh, okay. So <laughs> listen, everybody. So in Harris's, in Rabbi. Harris's, Reb Harris's interpretation of the Torah, beautiful. No, where does it not make sense? I don't understand. What sure it makes sense, but you have no way to prove it. Only because it's logical. I understand, but because it, but when have human beings always been logical? Harris, Harris, hold on. I am accepting the validity of your interpretation, but there's no way to prove that it's the correct interpretation. There's no way to prove it. Will you acknowledge that? It's also logical. Hold on, Jake. Hold on, hold on. All you have to acknowledge is that despite our deep desire to know exactly what happened, there's no way to totally know exactly what happened in this ancient story. But your telling is fascinating and compelling. Right. That's as far as I can go. Because that's as far as I can go unless we have video. Unless you have the security camera footage with audio, I, I like your interpretation. Thank you. It's a good one. Uh, but I don't want to run out of time because we haven't even gotten to this week's portion. But Desiree, Jeff thinks that the blessing was probably initially divinely given, and when it's given to Rebecca, this is the family blessing. This it's, so this is divinely. The words are divinely inspired. Beautiful. Maybe it's what everybody said all the time, like we say happy birthday. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a really boring interpretation. <laughs> They're using a, a different... They use, yeah, right. Local <laughs> variations. Sure, sure. If you want to make this boring, go ahead. <laughs> That's your prerogative. But I won't be interested in listening to that story. Oh, yeah, everybody talked like that. Oh, thanks, Diane. All right. What else is going on here? Okay, anyway, my point is, I read this not as fact, but as literature. By, because that gives me the most pleasure. Uh, by reading it as literature, it means that when a phrase is repeated in a different context, it's supposed to remind us of the other, uh, so it's an illusion, right? So for me, there's lots of ways to read Torah. I'm juiced by reading it as literature, not as 
reportage. Uh, that means that the, that the inspired authors of this story want me to hear echoes when they repeat certain phrases. And uh, I've pointed out to you so far the phrases that get repeated. In my study of Torah over the last X number of years, I find that to be significant. Okay? Yes? I have a question. Um, 55, it says, her brother and mother said, let the girl stay with us another few days. Where's the father? I mean, that, Good question. <laughs> and isn't usually the father who makes those? Great question. Yeah, where's the father? It's her yeah. mother and brother. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> she runs to her mother's house. She, after she sees the slave, she doesn't go to her father's house. The slave says, go tell your father I'm here. She doesn't go to the father's house. She goes to the mother's I house. I hadn't noticed that. It's just like... My mother wouldn't say, no, no, let me have her for a few more days. I'd say even more significant is why is she going to her mother's house and why is her mother making this decision? My point in all this is that in a, in a, in a, in a set of narratives where clearly it is the patriarchs of each clan whose word is law, What's the counter-narrative here? There's something subversive yeah. going on, and that's one of the things that fascinates me about it. Yes? Um, there's just a, a commentary at the bottom of the page of, of that verse 50 that says, some believe that the name was added later um, and that, in fact, uh, Beth the UL had already died. Mm -hmm. um, and we should assume that Laban had acted as the head of the family. That's a patriarchal interpretation. It's not, it doesn't come from the text. Right. Some believe. <laughs> I know who those some are. <laughs> They're guys who write, who are academics, who write biblical scholarship and try to reconstruct history. But this mm. is not history. Um, it is more likely, it says, however, that this is a trace of an earlier societal pattern in which the mother's household played a sizable role. Hmm. hmm. So Milka is queen? Malka. Yeah, Malka, right. queen. And the wet nurse... And Sarah, Sarai's name <coughs> means uh, um, um, uh, princess or, no, or no, noblewoman. So Milka is queen, Sarai is noblewoman. What are we hearing? If you're a feminist scholar, you might write about uh, a, um, uh, a kind of submerged uh, remembrance of when matriarchal clans, uh, when the matriarch had a lot more power. I have no evidence for that either, frankly. I've read all those histories, and they're wonderful, but they don't convince me either, right? To be convinced, personally, I need a lot more evidence, but I love thinking about it. Um, yes? That's right. Uh, Bye. Thanks for the food. The, you know, many instances where uh, the wife, the mother, is the strong person. No. Yes, my current thesis. Yes, my current thesis about the female characters in the Torah is that, by and large, they drive the narrative, but they have to do it with subterfuge. In this case, however, Rebecca seems to be even more central than any of the other women in the Torah. Uh, uh, or maybe not. But yes, I agree with you. So let's go on a bit. Oh, Karen. Sorry. So, so the wet nurse, so maybe it's the milk. There's something about the milk, the bringing the wet nurse with her. Because what is, what is the milk? 
It is the power substance that women bring that nourish the babies. That's there's something very powerful in that milk. Something very generative, something very sustaining. So it's important that that milk come with her to nourish the new society. Also, milk and honey are the only two food products you can eat without killing something. That's nice. So it's truly a stuff of life. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yes. So maybe the wet nurse represents the life force that uh, Rebecca's bringing with her. Could be. So uh, Rebecca then and her servant girls got up and mounted the camel and followed the man as the slave took Rebecca and went off. Um, now Isaac. You see where we're on 161? Verse, verse 62. Now Isaac was coming from the approach to Be'er Lechai Ro'i. He was coming from a place called Be'er Lechai Ro'i, for he was living in the area of the Negev. Huh, he's not living in Beersheba with Abraham. And, Rebe- and Sarah's not living in Beersheba with Abraham. This is an interesting... And he's not living with Sarah either. Nope. He's living with Hagar, right? Hagar lives in Be'er Lechai Ro'i. <laughs> Uh, and so he's living with Ishmael and Hagar, which is a whole other <laughs> underground narrative. Going out toward evening to stroll in the field, or when he goes out, la suach basadeh. La suach is a very unusual word, and stroll is, is a total guess of what la suach means. La suach doesn't come up elsewhere in the Torah. So people look and see what might it be related to. And sicha is a conversation. So la suach, does it mean was he talking to God? Was he meditating? Nobody knows. Isaac looked up, lifted up his eyes, and saw here camels were coming. And we're not going to develop the camel stuff today uh, too far. Uh, except I think it's worth saying that Gamalim, as Abigail was teaching, comes from the, the root camel, Gamal, from the letter Gimel, and Gomel means to bestow. Gmilul chasadim are acts of loving kindness. So there's something about these ten camels that is going to, and Rebecca's presence on them, that's going to bestow something on Isaac. The exclamation point is that, that seems to be a, um, that, that's an effort. That's an effort to deal with the Hebrew word vehine, which means and behold. Ah, okay. Just like the word hineni, here I am. Hine means here. Behold, um, camels coming. Rebecca lifted up her eyes. Very significant action in Torah. Seeing Isaac, vatipol me'al hagamal. Either she alighted from her camel, or she descended from her camel, or she fell off her camel. Maybe he was really uh, a looker. I don't know, but we all say so. And said to the slave, Rebecca says, "Who is this man striding in the field, coming to meet us?" He is my master," said the slave. Taking a veil, she covered herself. The slave then told Isaac all that he had done. And Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah. He took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Thus did Isaac take comfort 
after the death of his mother. So that is, that's how that chapter ends. And then, so we can get to this week's portion for a little while, which I'm very glad we did everything we just did. Look at page 173. Sarah had passed away. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I thought. Wait a minute. He took her to the tent his mother. His mother, Sarah. The empty tent. That's right. I'm sorry. She takes the place in the matriarchal line of Sarah. Um, so then, here's how this is the line of Isaac, son of Abraham. We're on 173. Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took as his wife Rebekah, daughter of Betuel, the Aramean of Padanaram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean. So the most significant thing in the chronicle of, we hear about these chronicles all the time. Eilet told Noah, these are the chronicles of Noah, and then it tells the story. Uh, Eilet told uh it comes up a number of times. So when we hear Ela Toldot Yitzchak, well, what is, what is the line of Yitzchak, the story of Yitzchak? The, and it's that he took Rebekah as his wife. And Isaac pleaded with the Eternal on behalf of his wife, for she was childless. And the Eternal acceded to his entreaty, so his wife Rebekah became pregnant. So Isaac is an actor right there. But then, this is the part, the children pressed against each other inside her. Rots means also to kind of uh, run around. Uh, they were running around in the womb, and she thought, Imken He doesn't say thought. She said, Imken If this is so, why am I alive? Why do I exist? So she's having, she has this incredible, like, I haven't been pregnant, so I can't tell you about it. But some other people here can. Uh, and so she went to inquire of the Lord. Well, I think that's unusual. How many women in the Torah go and talk to God? Think about it. Sarah overhears it and laughs. Well, and this direct, is directly to God. Right, right. It's not right. to, it's not to angels. It, Sarah's going to talk to God. Uh, Rebecca's going to talk to God. Rachel and Leah, I don't think they ever talk to God. Uh, Hannah. Hannah prays to God. That's right. Sarah doesn't, but she doesn't get a response from Sarah God. She gets a Sarah doesn't even initiate conversations with God. Right, right. So what I'm saying is, I'm trying to think about any other female character that goes and says, I'm going to talk to God. Ruth doesn't talk to God. Ruth is a beautiful character, uh, but Ruth has no interaction with, with God. So, I don't know. I didn't do it exhaustively, but as I ran through my mind, the stories I know. It's unusual for men to initiate conversations with God. That's what I'm saying. Rebecca is some heck of a person. She says, she is, she is an actor. She is a protagonist. And again, this isn't, I'm, 
you know, we can talk about a million things. That's why Torah is fun. But I hadn't talked about this before, so I wanted to explore it with you. So let's just see what she says. Oh, and God said to her, two peoples are in your belly, two nations that shall branch off from each other as they emerge from your womb. One people shall prevail over the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. That is the word of God that she receives. Is it possible that the wet nurse came along because there were going to be two babies and there was going to need to be a wet nurse to nurse the other baby? Oh, well, maybe. <laughs> now, 20, 20 years later, I don't think that wet nurse You know what? Wet. Sarah had a baby in 100 years. Sarah was 90, so. Right. Is nothing beyond the power of the Lord? Okay, 24, when the time came for her to get, if you're trying to read this as a rational, straight up narrative, you're just gonna, your head's gonna break, okay? <laughs> when the time came for her to give birth, lo, she had twins in her belly. The first came out reddish all over as though covered with a hairy mantle, so they named him Asav, sort of hairy. Is that what it means? Uh, we're not sure what Asaph mm -hmm. means. <laughs> um, because the other name is Edom, which means red or ruddy. So it seems like he had a very ruddy appearance. Uh, very... His brother following him came out holding Esau's heel. Heel is Ekev. So they named him Yaakov, which means heel holder. <laughs> basically. Uh, but his name is very resonant because... A heel is also a word in Hebrew, just like it is in English. And a kev also means crooked. Uh, so there's something about Yaakov that's devious or a heel um, in his first name, but he gets this next name called Yisrael, which is Yashar El, which means straight to God. So something about Jacob in his life is going to get straightened out. It's going to take a lot of time. Uh, but the beauty of Jacob in the Bible is that his character develops. Otherwise, it's boring. Heroes who never change are boring. I like reading Superman, you know, because you know what's going to happen, but it doesn't make as good a story. Yeah? In Genesis 38, 27, it's the same wording when Tamar is giving birth, they say, when the time came for her to give birth, lo, she had twins in her belly. So I love the, the, the way they exclaim this. That's right. With the same word. That's right. And there's a connection there, too. So Isaac was 60. Is belly? Yeah, beats no. Uh, yeah, her, her betting. Her. Yeah. Yeah. Mayayach uh, are your innards. So they're using different words. You know, womb, innards, belly, just like we talk about pregnancy now, you know. Um, Isaac, Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. When the boys, I'm on the next page now, 174. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the outdoors. But Jacob was a homespun man keeping to the tents. Isaac, Ehehav et Esau, and Isaac loved Esau because Esau put game in his mouth. Did, to make sense? He loved, the, loved Esau's hunting and cooking. 
Verivka Ohevet et Yaakov, and Rebecca loved Jacob. So Rebecca is the only person who knows what the destiny of these two sons is. And her task now becomes to try to fulfill that destiny. Um, and then she has to be in a patriarchal situation like so many other stories in the Torah. She has to convince her husband that he said it. I'm serious. You know, it's still, it's like the honeymooners. I mean, it's just like... I said the honeymooners. I mean, I'm trying to think of a good example of what still happens in countless heterosexual couples around the world, right? In order for the woman to be able to get her way, she has to figure out how to make her husband think it was his idea. So that's what happens. He loves... He wants, he loves Esau. Esau's the firstborn. Isaac's clueless. When it says that Isaac's eyes are dim in the next chapter, the question is, what, is this a physical loss of sight? And is it some lack of perception that makes him just sort of dense to what the unfolding of this story has to be? Remember, this is not, this is a story with a destiny. This is a, this is a, this is a, this is not, up for grabs. There's a destiny here that has to be fulfilled. Yes? Well, that's actually what, what's very interesting um, is that one could say, oh, God told me this was going to happen. Okay, fine, it's going to happen. I don't have to do anything about it. Right. But here it shows that for that to happen, she has to take control of it. That's right. That's right. It's not just going to happen because it's God's will. It's gonna, God's will will be manifest in the world if we can make it manifest. Exactly. Thank you. Yes? You know, if I could add a related book, which I mentioned last time, this book, Sapien. Um, first of all, Rebecca is a leader. Um, yes. If, if, if we were to look at this on an evolutionary type of thing, this, this author, who you know, Yudal, I believe his name is, first name. I, I, I don't, I, don't I, I know about the book. I read about the book, but I didn't read the book. He's, he's an Israeli historian. Yes. And, and, and there are, he, he, he counters every argument why societies from the very beginning were patriarch, what, what, what patriarch. Right. He, there are five sort of myths about why man was the, the leader. Yeah. But he counters every one of the arguments. It's really quite incredible. Way Sounds fascinating. And he says women should, should have been the leaders. I agree. And, and I agree. And this... And In this, 2016... Thank you. He, she does. And I would say a good argument can be made that men and women in the Torah, women are not less than men in the Torah. They occupy, in the Torah, they occupy a different social status. So they have to learn how to assert themselves in ways that are indirect. But if you read these stories in the Torah, and men get to be the stars, but... That doesn't mean women are inferior in the Torah. Starting with Eve, by the way. Eve is the protagonist of the Garden of Eden story. It's Eve who decides to eat the apple, eat the fruit, and then says, oh, I'm going to give this to Adam. And Eve does talk to God, or God talks to Eve. 
God talks to Eve, that's right. I think that's important. Um, but God never told Eve not to eat the fruit. He only said that to Adam. Oh, I missed that. That's right. Anyway, we'll look at that. So, we're, uh, so my, my point about this is that as, as we try to, I would say, um, kind of clamber out of our uh, conditioned um, sexism, which makes men the heroes and women the supporting players, and we read the story trying to see who's driving the action and how, we'll find that women are not inferior in the Torah. And it's one of the stories that we can tell now that we just weren't even thinking about before. Yes? Didn't this also happen with Sarah when she said to Abraham, it's going to be Isaac, we've got to get rid of That's him. right. And, and Abraham is deeply troubled, and God says, do what Sarah says. Right. So Sarah Thank you. Did just what, and Rebecca did just what Sarah Thank did. you. Thank you very much for noticing that. Yes? In the sixth grade, a teacher who taught us we were studying Native cultures, the Native Americans and Africans, and every he, he said that the leader, the one who stands up there and is the chief is a man, but right behind them is the woman. Mm -hmm. Sixth grade, I learned that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. The other woman that God speaks directly to is Hagar. Oh, that's right. God speaks, an angel speaks to Hagar. It's not an angel. Ooh. I don't think so. Let's find out. Um, I'm looking back at chapter 21. Uh, um, let's see. Oh, right. God, an angel of God called to Hagar and said, What is troubling you, Hagar? Have no fear, for God has heard the cry of the lad where he is. Is that an angel? Oh, yeah. oh I'm sorry. I'm on page 133. Um, chapter 21, verse 17. In this case, it's an angel. It is an angel. Okay. Yeah, unless when she first goes off, it's God. Let me just check in chapter 16. Hold on. I'll just look. And then, can you stay a few more minutes today? Oh, good. Oh, good. So, because uh, I do want to get to, um, oh, yeah. okay. but wait, wait, in chapter, where? Yeah, so it says, she went to Darash at Adonai, um, inquire. So yes, elsewhere in the Torah, if you, Lidrosh means to consult an oracle, but the text itself doesn't indicate that. It says, and then God said to her. So it doesn't say the oracle said to her. Right. Um, so again, that's also an iffy, like, uh, okay, why are they saying that? I, I sort of understand. So um, the first time it says, an angel of God found her at a spring of water in the wilderness. And she said, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. Well, return, the angel said, return to your mistress. And the angel said, I will greatly multiply your descendants. And then the angel continued. Uh, uh, but then, so she called the eternal who had been speaking to her, saying, you are the God who sees me. So she addresses God. Close enough for me. <laughs> the fact that Hagar has this extended discourse with an agent of God is significant right, also. But it's an agent of God because it's Right, she called, she, she recognized that the angel was, was the voice of God, yes. 
So again, we can't get too like uh, literal here. Um, okay, so then just in the interest of time, if you look at page 178, Isaac is ready to give his special blessing of the firstborn to Esau. And he tells Esau, go hunt my favorite dish, bring it back, prepare it for me the way I like it, and I'll, uh, and says his eyes were dim, and I'll give you the blessing. Verse 5, as Isaac was speaking to his son Esau, Rebekah was listening. And when Esau went to the countryside to hunt, Rebekah said this to her son Jacob, look, I heard your father speaking to your brother Esau, saying, bring me game and make me tasty dishes that I may eat and then bless you before the eternal, before my death. Now, son, listen to me, to what I am instructing you. Go to the flock and bring me two tender kids, and I will make them into tasty dishes for your father, just as he likes. And you will bring them to your father, and he will eat, so that he may bless you before his death. But Jacob said to his mother, Rebekah, Look, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am smooth-skinned. Should my father feel me, I will seem to him like a cheat. Uh-huh. And I will bring a curse on myself, not a blessing. His mother then said to him, any curse that you get will be on me, son. Just listen to me and go get them for me. So he went and got them, and his mother made tasty dishes just as Isaac liked. Rebecca now took the finest of her elder son Esau's garments that she had in the house and dressed up her younger son Jacob. And then she took the goat skins that she wrapped on his hands and over the smooth part of his neck so he'd be hairy. And she put the tasty food and the bread that she made into her son Jacob's hand. And then he goes in, in this very dramatic scene. He says, Father, he says, Father says, who's this? And there's that whole scene where he manages to get the blessing. Then Esau comes in with another dish. It's very cinematic. And his father says, who are you? He says, I'm Esau. Oh, no, your brother tricked me. I gave the blessing to him, and these blessings have potency. He can't just give it again. And, uh, and Esau bursts into tears and then says, don't you have any blessing for me? And then he starts getting furious. He, that brother, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> and so uh, we're going to just hurry ahead. Rebecca hears that Esau has resolved to kill Jacob. So we're on page 181, verse 42. When Rebekah was told her elder son Esau's words, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, look, your brother Esau, I love it, she says this look thing a lot, he nay, look, your brother Esau is plotting to avenge himself by killing you. Now son, listen to me. That's what she said before. Get going and flee to my brother Laban in Haran. You can stay there a while until your brother's rage cools down. When your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you did to him, I will send to bring you back from there. Why should I be bereft of the two of you in a single day? Okay, so now she has to make Isaac understand that it's his idea. So Rebecca said to Isaac, I hate my life because of the local women, the daughters of the Hittites. If Jacob takes a wife from them, like these from these local local girls, what would my life be worth? So then Isaac then summoned Jacob and blessed him and gave him this instruction. 
Do not take a wife from among the daughters of Canaan. Get ready. Go to Padan Aram, to the house of Betuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. And may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and numerous so you become a host of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham, you along with your descendants, to possess the land in which you have sojourned that God gave to Abraham. Thus did Isaac send Jacob away. He went to Baran Aram, to Laban, son of Tueli Aramean, brother of Rebekah, mother of Jacob and Esau. Yes? Isaac. He knows, that, he knows that Jacob's stolen the blessings, and now he accepts it. That's why there are many versions. When you read the story of Jacob in disguise, you can definitely tell the story that Isaac knows exactly what's going on from the way he uses language. Is he being fooled, or is he playing along? And it's interesting to guess on that. Yes? Um, but, and we, we didn't go over this in very much detail, but... Um, um, Esau uh, gave away his birthright. Um, There's a, yes. There's a birthright and a blessing. I'm not sure what the distinction is. Okay, so but he still felt, because he said I'm going to... You've cheated me twice, he says. First you took my birthright and now you've taken my blessing. So these are two significant prerogatives of the the firstborn. But I don't know what the distinction is. Oh, he was hungry. Esau's character, which we have explored at length in other years, is very rich. He's totally a man of the earth, impulsive. When he's hungry, he wants to eat. When he's sad, he cries. Later, when Jacob comes back 20 years later, and he thinks Esau's going to kill him, Esau says, you know, Rebecca was right. He, when he cools down, he cools down. And uh, he's that kind of totally what you see is what you get character. It's a very sympathetic character, actually. Okay. Okay. When he gave the blessing to Jacob, Jacob was his favorite. No, Esau is Isaac's favorite. Jacob is Rebecca's, Jacob is Rebecca's favorite. Well, mate, I know, tell the story. It's like interesting, isn't it? It's a family drama. Uh, what do they know and not know? What do we unconsciously know in our family systems that uh, we don't know consciously? It's like, yeah, sorry, we can't tie it up with a bow. You know, it's like it's a good question. However, in the interest of time, I want to show you the other references in the Torah to Rebecca. Because... Huh? And the nurse. That's what I'm going to show you. So first, turn to page uh, 197. And Esau married Ishmael's daughter. That's right. (coughs) Yeah. Yeah. Page 197. It's a setup for a big fight, and yet it's also a setup for what needs to happen. So again, we're stuck with this complexity of the Torah which is that, it's chapter 29, uh, verse 12, with this complexity of the Torah, which is that somehow the good and the bad are all necessary for driving God's plan forward. But which is really good and which is really bad? That's the question. Mm. 
Ask yourself that about our con- current situation as a nation. Well, ask yourself that. Ask yourself that. When is it, what is the good and what is the bad and how do you know? Right. You Sometimes you know and sometimes what you think was for the good is for the bad. It's like, that's... Who knows? Um, so, Jacob meets Rachel at the well. And I just want to point out verse 12. Jacob then told Rachel... Where are you? Oh, sorry. Uh, page 197. Verse 12. It's, in verse 11 it says... Jacob kissed Rachel and began to cry in a loud voice. Jacob then told Rachel that he was his, her father's kinsman, that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. So that's the next time Rebekah's mentioned. He's not Isaac's son. He's Rebekah's son. And I know it's logical because Laban is her brother and, and Rachel is his daughter. So, but still, it's like it puts Rebekah right in the middle of it. And that's what I want to point out to you. The next time is, uh, let's see. Um, hold on. I just got to check something. Um, yes, okay. Now go to chapter 35, verse 8, which is the next time we hear about it. It's on page 227. 227. Okay. Verse 6. Jacob has now returned from 20 years away, and he comes back to Luz in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel. Bethel is the place where he dreamt of a ladder going up to heaven. And he names it the house of God, which, as I've said many times, that's Bethel, New York. (laughs) Anyway, where a lot of people saw a ladder going up to heaven. Mm, uh, Stairway to heaven. Stairway to heaven, that was it. I'm telling you. It's our contemporary, visionary, transformative moment. Doesn't, does not reduce to logic, right? And that's what happens in human affairs. We have transcendent events that do not reduce to logic. Um, and they change things. So when Jacob was at Bethel, in a way that's inexplicable, he had an experience that changed his destiny and changed his life. He comes back to that spot and he builds an altar as he promised. And he called that, he promised earlier in his story, and he called that sacred site El of Beth El. For there in his flight from his brother, God had been revealed to him. Uh, um, uh, And Deborah, Rebecca's wet nurse, died and was buried beneath Beth El under the oak, Ha-Elon, Ha-Alon. So he named it Alon Bachut, the Oak of Weeping. That is all we know about Rebecca Swetners. So now she's named. She has a name. And why? And, and why is she so... It's just a beautiful, like, kind of textual mystery to me. Uh, that we have, we have so little information about. <coughs> but this is the next time that Rebecca's mentioned, so I'm showing it to you. Why would 
be weeping? Why would there be sorrow? Because Rebecca, because she died. They were mourning her. Oh, Rebecca, okay. Because Deborah, her nurse, died. So something oh. about this figure is beloved. Um, now, it's interesting that uh, um, it says that Deborah, in the book of Judges, who's a prophetess and a judge of Israel, lived between Ramah, sat under Tomer Dvorah, the palm tree of Deborah, in between Ramah and Beit El. So I don't know what the Deborah tradition is here. It's pretty interesting that it's below a tree and it's named for Deborah, but honestly, I can't even speculate because that's, that's all we've got. Well, Avraham sat under the oak of Mamre. Yes, oak trees are holy trees in Genesis. Um, there's there's Elon Hamore. Uh, there's all kinds of the teaching oak, the weeping oak. I can picture this early Israelite society with their sacred groves, with these beautiful oak trees. It's nice to imagine, isn't it? Um, so Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died and was buried there in Beit El. That's a very significant place. That is like the second holiest place in biblical Israel after Jerusalem. After Har HaMoriah is the heights of Betel, the house of God. It's where the northern kingdom kept its sanctuary uh, after the kingdom split in two. And so Rebecca is remembered there through her, her, nurse. Through her nurse. Her death is never... Rebecca's death is not recorded. It's the strangest thing. So she's not mentioned again after this? No, well, she's only mentioned one more time, and I'm going to show it to you. What do you want to say, Desiree? I'm wondering if there's any connection between Rebecca's nurse and being buried under the tree and the figures of Asherah that yeah. are with the right. grass. No question. That's what we need to remember. We, the Asherah in ancient Israel, which will sound a little like um, Ishtar, which has mm -hmm. other analogs, is appears to be the female consort, the counterpart of El, the Canaanite god, or Baal. It's a, a, it's a typical pantheon with a male and female deity who are uh, uh, at the top of the pantheon. And so we see all kinds of traces of that in the Torah. Um, and the Asherah was usually a tree or a grove or a, a wooden sculpture and we have there, archaeology finds representations of Asherah, which is a very one of those classic, large-bellied, large-breasted. Oh, yeah. Well, she's holding the breast like this. Right, fecund. Right. Oh, so is Deborah? Thank you. Is Deborah a remembrance of the female goddess, the nur the the nurse, the one who whose breasts feed the world? Who's, mm. you know, it's a fat. That's a fascinating thing to think about, isn't now it? Now she's dead because now we're in the patriarchy. Maybe that's the way of saying it, but she's buried underneath, underneath the oak of weeping. You want to tell a story about the loss of a culture, maybe, um, and what are they weeping for? That's another story to tell, but I think it's all connected, yeah. I, I mean, if you want to continue to tell stories. Yes, I do. I love stories. I'm sitting here looking at this thinking, was Rebecca, was Deborah and Rebecca's mother lovers oh <laughs> and is that why she was so loved and did Rebecca's mother send her off 
or is because there was no father in this scenario. Oh, so uh, I, please write that story. <laughs> I just did. I know, I know. So let's look at the last time Rebecca's mentioned, even though for her death, we hear about Sarah's death at length. We certainly, Isaac dies at the end of this week's portion, and it says, and his sons Ishmael, I mean his sons uh, Esau, wait, 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 who, who died? Uh, Isaac dies. No, when Abraham dies, it says, his sons Isaac and Ishmael came to bury him together. That's right. So uh, we know about, uh, we hear about Jacob's death at length. We hear about Rachel's death at Rachel length. Rachel dies just after this. Nurse That's right. Dies. Rachel dies shortly after this. Um, and we know about, so the last time we hear about Rebecca in the book of Genesis is on page 313. Chapter 49, verse um, 31, yeah. Verse 31. This chapter, this is Isaac, this is the end of Genesis, and it's recounting Jacob's death. And this is the last time that Rebecca is mentioned in, in the cycle. All these are the 12 tribes, I'm verse 28. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And thus did their father speak to them as he blessed them, blessing each one with a blessing that befit him. And he gave them a charge, saying, When I am gathered to my people, bury me with my ancestors in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah facing Mamre, in the land of Canaan, the field that Abraham bought from Ephron the Hittite as an inalienable gravesite. There they buried Abraham and his wife Sarah, and there they buried Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, and there I buried Leah. And the purchase of the field and the cave in it was from the Hittites. When Jacob was done charging his sons, he drew his feet into the bed. He then breathed his last and was gathered to his people. So we don't hear about Rebekah's death, but we know where she's buried, which is, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about, you know, about it too much. So... That ha we have now reviewed Rebecca's story, sort of starting all the way back in, um, gosh, in uh, Lech Lecha, when Abraham is introduced, we hear about Rebecca's parents all the way through to not her death, but Deborah's, the nursemaid's death, and then we hear about her being buried. Um, Yes, it is. It's in Hebron. And, 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 and are the graves marked, actually? Well, there is a uh, mosque there mm -hmm. that sits atop a cave, which is reputed to be the cave of the Machpelah. When, in, back in the 70s, after, before, uh, when you could tra after the Six-Day War, when you could travel freely all over the West Bank, I, I remember going to Hebron and just going to this place and going down into the cave. I was Mm -hmm. And so now, of course, it's, it's, it's impossible. But um, uh, that's, be, that's where the cave is reputed to be, in Hebron, and a mosque sits atop it. Wow. Yeah. I think it was very um, uh, common back then for Jews to bury their uh, relatives in caves. Absolutely. There are burial caves all over ancient Israel. Mm -hmm. All over. It was the yeah. common way to do it. Yeah. Uh, I think 
Sarcophagi. Sarcophagi, yeah. And they're small. It's almost like they have yeah, they Yes, the sarcophagi were for the bones. Yeah, um, they would, they would, the, they would let the body decompose, and then they would later come back to the cave and put the bones into a a box. And yes, they were burial caves. Yes. Now, the stories about the cave of the Machpelah in Jewish midrash is that it's actually also where Adam and Eve are buried. And that there's a light that always shines there. And if you find your way through that cave, you get back to the Garden of Eden. <laughs> it's a beautiful story, but that's death also. That's a parable about death. The story about Abraham running to get a calf from the flock. There's a midrash that says the calf led him into that cave and he saw. And he said, that's why I want to buy that cave, because it's the entrance to paradise. Uh, so that's a whole other story. Um, well, I hope this has been uh, interesting for you. I really wanted to explore Rebecca for a change, and so uh, I got a lot of food for thought there. Thanks for all of your input. Thank you, Amen. Thank you. Amen.